Hello and welcome to our Consumer Guide for Normal People, hosted by OneRoof Financial. I'm Caroline Eburn, Partner and Mortgage and Protection Advisor. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. We are joined by Gary Sharp of Right and Right, who is our lettings expert. And Gary is going to be giving us some guidance on if you are looking to rent or if you are looking to become a landlord or are or are already a landlord, um, then he's going to be able to give us some guidance on uh, on that area. So over to you, Gary. Welcome. Hi. So uh, yeah. So I've been an estate agent in Hinkley now for twenty. 26 years and yeah I know I don't look that old and uh, yeah so basically started off at a corporate and then got headhunted to a independent where I then became a partner and subsequently sole owner for about the last 21 years so uh, lettings is obviously quite a large part of our portfolio which is obviously why I'm here answering your questions. You are fantastic so what I thought would be really really good is to um, look at two angles so starting off by someone who is looking to take that very first step on the rental ladder if you Mm -hmm. like um so because it's something that i you know don't know anything about obviously being a mortgage advisor it's that's my area so um in terms of advice for someone who's starting the process where should they start um i think the most important thing is probably check your credit profile first um especially in a very buoyant market landlords have a lot of choice any property that goes on the market is going to roughly get probably 10 viewings at least in the first week and this is something we're seeing a lot of tenants complaining that properties are going before they even get to see them so you need to make sure that if you're going to go for a property and you're going to spend that time and that journey to try and find something that you are sort of as as good an applicant as you can for the landlord and part of that is obviously checking your credit profile making sure that obviously you've got no poor credit that is going to affect an application uh, because that is one of the things that we're still finding week on week is applications failing on credit so if somebody does get declined on the credit search, is that the end of the road for them? Or let's say they've got a lump sum because they're relocating. Mm-hmm. Does that improve their position? So could they say, oh, actually, well, I can pay up front for a certain period? It can do. There's two elements that a landlord's looking for. One is rent security and the other one is regards to condition of the property at the end of the tenancy so that bit is if you like more of a a personal thing obviously when the agent or the landlord would show you around um, do they get that right feel that you're a right fit for that property on the financial side then again obviously by paying the six months up front or three months up front uh, can be an advantage Um, however again you've still got to push it to a landlord that obviously there could be some credit issues because of the fact that you've already done the credit check even if they're paying the rent up front if there is a poor credit check come back then you've still got to disclose that to the landlord and obviously going forward whether the landlord's got all of the money up front in the first instance is he going to get the money going forward Uh, there is also um, some lenders and some insurance will not allow tenants with poor credit so for example rent guarantee insurance is not going to be applied if obviously you've got poor credit so again that's something that landlords are looking for at the minute and as I say in a buoyant market landlords will always choose the best applicant so go back four or five years people with poor credit could get properties now they're struggling because at the end of the day they've got maybe five or six applications in 
why take someone with poor credit? So again, if you get it checked, if there is any county court judgments or IVAs, bankruptcy orders, etc., then obviously you can look to discharge those and get those settled before you then go and apply for a property. Okay. And I, I know that the rules have changed quite a lot recently and um, the tenant used to have to pay for the referencing. Is that, some, is that still a thing? Uh, no, effectively the landlord or stroke agent now have to cover that. So tenants don't have to pay anything, uh, which is good for them um, in many ways. However, obviously it generally is offset. So again, another reason or another possible reason why rents are going up is because the agents are now passing all those costs on to the landlords. And the landlords at the end of the day want to make money. So obviously they're subsequently just putting the rents up and obviously in a buoyant market, they're getting away with that quite easily because again, there is a shortage of rental property. Um, so again, it comes back round to the fact that obviously we will do as many checks as we can before we go down the route of the credit now. So we're asked more questions. We might want to see um, statements, et cetera, et cetera, in order to, again, limit our expense yeah, as absolutely. an agent. Absolutely. Uh, because otherwise we're running credit checks on people that, effectively are going to fail and obviously we've still had to pay for that exactly exactly okay fantastic so in terms of um contracts or tenancy agreements now um is there a, with it being quite a buoyant market mm -hmm. if you lock in for longer so if you say oh i'll stay there 12 months is that something else that can put you ahead of the game so a tenant would they prefer someone who's going to stay in there a longer period of time uh well from a landlord's point of view Possibly not. Um, the problem you have is that, obviously, depending on how much money you're pay paying up front, um, if you're only doing, the, by law, you've got to do six months anyway. Okay. okay so so that's the minimum you yeah, can do. An AST, a short, short hold tenancy, is a six-month contract. Right. At the end of that, there is not a massive advantage for the landlord to lock a tenant in, especially during the current climate. From a tenant point of view, depending on when this actually goes to air, at the minute... Um, any notice given by a landlord has been extended to four months. As of last month, it was six months because of the COVID regulations. Right, okay. So in a way, at the end of a six-month period, if it remains as a four-month notice, even a six-month agreement is technically a 10-month agreement. Okay? Yeah. Um, but obviously, if that goes back down to what it is legally and what it has been for many, many years, is just two months' notice. Now, by locking someone in, for a 12-month contract, that is a legal binding contract. The only way to terminate that is by mutual consent or a court order. So obviously, from a landlord's perspective, there's not a massive advantage to locking someone in for a long period of time because right. the market is buoyant. As such, landlords don't have empty properties. Right, Go Fantastic. back 10 years, landlords would want to lock people in for 12, 18 months, two years because if the property came empty, it might have been empty for two or three months. Yeah. Now it's two or three days. They don't need to lock it. Okay. It's not in the, t the landlord's interest. So um, as with mortgages, so in our world, we have to do quite a lot of affordability checks, make sure that they can afford the house long term. Mm -hmm. Is that is that now something that um, is a tenant's assessed on? So make sure that they can easily afford on their earnings the rent. Yeah, I, it's, it's not as anywhere near as in detail as obviously what you're used to with your mortgages. Um, effectively, what we need to do is ascertain the earnings and it has to be 31 times the rent in order for basically that to go through. So if you're renting at £500, you'd need to be earning in excess of 15 grand a year. Okay. okay. So it's that's really the only modifier and that's then done by the referencing company on a, uh, an affordability scale at that end. Obviously, if you can't hit that, then obviously you've got the options of guarantors. Yeah. 
however, or paying extra money up front, dependent on, but then it comes back to the previous part about the fact that in a buoyant market, landlords... Would spin you off. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a technical um, term? <laughs> in a way, potentially, yes. Uh, if there's someone else who earns more money, doesn't need a guarantor, etc., then they're going to go above that on the pecking order. Um, and that also then goes to, for smoking and pets and various other bits as well. Yeah. So if, if you see someone who says, oh, they, they ring up and say, oh, I can see you're marketing a property. I want to have a look at it. Before they even view it, do you just do that quick sense check and say, right, well, before you go and look at this property, do you have sufficient earnings to even view it? Or, you know, rather than looking at a three-bedroomed property, really, should they be looking at a two-bed property, for instance? Um, I mean, as an, as an agent, we don't tend to, I'll be honest. Um, obviously, regarding viewings, what you want to do is get the numbers in there. Um a lot of the time with viewings on rental properties now, it's a block viewing anyway. So we're there maybe for an hour, hour and a half. So we're literally slotting people in every 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you see what comes out from there. Um, same with, you know, to, to purchase as well. There's nothing we can really do running soft credit checks on people. You know, all that's going to happen is they'll just tell us they're earning 50K when they're only earning 5K. Of course, so, yeah. you know, the reality is, is we don't tend to do that, to be fair. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, and also, um, pets... Mm-hmm. So, are they are, are most landlords just automatically put off by people having pets, or um, is that the preference generally, or are there? Because I, I saw like a let's with pets thing. So um, you know, if they were quite happy to have a pet in there, you'd you know put a little badge on and say, "Oh yes, we're happy to accept <laughs> dogs and cats." Um, yeah, again, uh, some landlords will have a blanket ban against it. Some are more amenable to it. The problem with the pets is the fact that a couple of years ago when they brought the fee ban in, the government also reduced the amount of bond that a landlord could take. So the industry average was six weeks. That's now down to five weeks maximum. Um, So the maximum we can charge is five weeks rent for the bond. Now, previously it was six plus you could take an additional bond if you wanted to. So if someone came along and said, oh, look, I've got a couple of dogs, you know, again, industry standard locally would be £100 extra on the bond per pet. The problem now is we can't do that. Right. So as such, the bond element has reduced. The house price has gone up, but the bond has come down. So the, if you like, that insurance policy against damage has reduced and the value of the property has gone up. So that's the correlation that doesn't really work for landlords. Um, on top of that, you've got a situation where um, again, coming back to the fact that landlords have multiple choice. Yeah. So again, if I've got four applications, one isn't working, one's got two dogs, and then I've got two couples that are working with no dogs, non-smokers, decent jobs, etc. They're going to get it. They're going to get it. Yeah. So obviously, then that puts you in a situation where maybe the slightly less desirable rental properties, because they're not being let, would take the animals. Um, but there is no law against it at the minute, irrespective of uh, what may be on social media, etc. They right. are trying to uh, make it effectively impossible for landlords to discriminate against it. But really, all that's going to mean is we just won't advertise no pets. Um, and then it's still the landlord's choice. Same is against sexuality, race, creed, etc. Yeah. It will just become one of those. But 
effectively the landlord still has the choice on the application. Okay, brilliant. And um, what would happen if someone did have pets and they said that they didn't and they oh, moved the pets into the property? You mean a property? liar? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> tenants don't lie. Um, I mean, in fairness, that would be a breach of contract. Yeah. So whether, obviously, at the end of the six-month tenancy, you would then be in a situation where, obviously, if the landlord was made aware that there was animals there, and obviously from our point of view, we'd be doing an inspection every three months anyway, mm. um, and we're quite good at seeing the, the kitty cat and uh, the, the telltale signs of animals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in essence, that would be reported back to the landlord. The landlord would then either say, well, okay, fair enough, or they could serve notice. Right, okay. Because um, that's now, breach of contract, that's I a, Well, it's a breach of contract, but at the end of the day, again, legally at the minute, the landlord doesn't need a reason anyway. So even if it was because of the, you know, if they brought in the thing, you can't discriminate against the pets, the landlord still currently don't need to give a reason. They could just say, I want the property back. Right, okay. Yeah. Now, if you had a long-term contract, again, this is where it's not in the landlord's interest. So let's say a landlord was convinced to give someone a 24-month contract, and after three months, they realise that, you know, basically the house is a cattery. <laughs> then the only option then would be to go to court on breach of contract. But then you're trying to get a magistrate to award the property back during a fixed term to the landlord, when no doubt the tenant is then going to start saying that they're family pets and that they're there for, um, you know, helping them through stress and everything else. Yeah. So are you going to get a magistrate who's actually going to award the property back to the landlord? So this is why, again, as a letting agent, it's not really the best advice to the landlord to give anything more than a six-month contract and then going into rolling because that gives you the option at any point if you catch a tenant doing something that's in breach, whether it's smoking in the property, whether they've moved somebody else in, i.e. subletting, got animals there that they shouldn't have, then the landlord's got the option to serve notice and get the property back. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Okay. So how many agents out there do a rolling contract? Do they all offer it or is it some um, that do six and six? Yeah, and six I mean, or? again, obviously it's down to each individual agent. I mean, from our point of view, we generally will do six months and then we go into rolling. Yeah. Okay, so and that can carry on for an unlimited amount of time, really. Uh, we've got several tenants or quite a few tenants who are on, sort of been there five, six years and still yeah. on a rolling contract. Um, a lot of the reason why letting agents will try and convince landlords to do it is because they'll be charging the landlord, uh, which in turn obviously then creates that question over rent renewal and rent increases. So again, if you're a tenant looking, you know, sometimes it's a case of actually looking at what the landlord's being charged by the agent. So if you go onto the agent's website, we all have to disclose our fee scales. So if you've got... You know, even as a tenant, first thing I would be doing is looking at how much that agent is charging the landlord. Yeah. Okay. And when there's four pages of fees that the landlord is going to be paid for this, 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 and this, and to pay that out, clearly it makes common sense to think that that landlord is going to try passing that on to me, the tenant. So then when it comes up for rent renewal and rent increase, yeah, there's clearly going to be probably an indication that you're going to be hit with a rent increase mm. because the costs are quite high. That's really interesting. Uh, whereas obviously an agent like ourselves, where we literally don't charge the landlords for the, the extra bit, we charge a management fee and that's it. Yeah. Um, then obviously the likelihood is is that those landlords will be making that little bit more than they would with some other agents. And as such, there's less re requirement for them to increase the rent to cover costs. 
So um, from um, our point of view, so let's say we are reviewing a landlord's buy-to-let mortgage mm -hmm. and um, we need, so let's say it's under market value, so they're currently not charging enough because they last changed the tenant's rent like five years ago. Mm -hmm. It's not kept pace with what we need for the mortgage. When If the landlord needs to up that rent, does that then cause the need for a new tenancy agreement so do you have to have a new tenancy agreement and a new six monther if the rent changes no it's a section 13 notice right okay brill which can't be served within the first 12 months of a tenancy yep and then equally only ever every 12 months you can increase the rent by a maximum of 10 percent of the rent oh okay, okay. um so obviously even from our point of view yes we'll obviously always keep eye on the rent and obviously we'll advise the landlord to increase it as and when we f feel it's required as opposed to increasing it just to cover costs okay so that's yeah. the that's the difference there because equally from a lot of agents point of view they get paid for putting tenants in properties so obviously if they keep encouraging the rents to increase and tenants leave they'll still make money by then subsequently putting tenants back in so they almost sort of try and force tenants out in a way um, so there's a difference between market value and obviously just putting the, the price up to the absolute maximum. So we'll always try and advise what the market value is to the yeah. landlord. Yeah. Um, so obviously, again, another advantage to the landlord on a rolling contract, they can do that at any point. On a fixed term, it fixes the term and the rent. So if you signed up for 24 months, which is obviously something you mentioned yeah. earlier, then you can't touch that rent for 24 months, which again is not in the landlord's interest if rents are going up, which they have done probably by anywhere between 15 and 16% in the last 12 months alone. So again, the landlord would be losing out in that instance. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, and as from a tenant's perspective, you know, you were mentioning about all the fees <coughs> being published. So um, a, a tenant could go on to the managing agent's website and mm -hmm. check out all the fees and yeah. things like that. But is there a benefit to them by it being managed? So are they more likely to get a better service if something goes wrong? I suppose there's... The contacts so your office when they're open they can ring and report an issue yeah i mean obviously there's good private landlords and there's bad private landlords obviously the advantage of managed landlords is the fact that obviously if the landlord shall we say is doing something that they maybe shouldn't then the agent is there to advise the landlord of their rights and responsibilities as much as the tenant yeah. Our job as an agent, whilst obviously our client is the landlord, we have to try and create a relationship between landlord and tenant. Yeah. And we also act as a buffer. So when you get the tenant ringing up, moaning, that, you know, this hasn't been done, that hasn't been done, obviously that then gets slightly diluted so that obviously the landlord doesn't fall out with the tenant. Whereas obviously if you're a private landlord to private tenant, literally it's a phone call, it's a text, could be taken out of context cause a bad relationship there the other advantage for uh, tenants and landlords is the fact that everything is done regulatory um, so obviously things like gas safeties are done on time obviously again keeping the tenants safe as much as there is if you like come back on a private landlord if they haven't done certain things those regulations are there to keep the tenants safe yeah absolutely. so at the end of the day by doing it through an agent obviously that would be beneficial um, generally you know, most the majority of landlords now are probably managed. Uh, there are fewer and f fewer let-only, if you like, or yeah. private landlords, because again, the regulations keep changing on such a regular yeah. basis. It's difficult keeping up with it. I was going to say because we've got. I'm sure almost every town has got a spotted 
Hinkley version <laughs> of their page. And you now oh, yeah. see people saying, oh, I've got a house I'm you know, renting out. And you always think, oh, it's a bit dodgy. Has, has anybody got a private landlord, two-bedroom house? Yeah, yeah. Looking, looking for a property. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But again, that, that's an indicator that there just isn't enough landlords out there. Yeah. And a lot of that is also due to the fact that tenants and tenant bodies have moaned and moaned and moaned about the the fees that agents charged and so the government finally reacted to it and have obviously now passed all those costs on to the landlords made it harder for landlords and then we've also got things that a lot of tenants don't realize um that when a landlord buys a property now they have to pay three percent of the purchase price in tax just for buying it to let it out well if you imagine a two hundred thousand pound house that's six grand that's all your rent money for the year. Gone and don't down. forget declaring the earnings to the yeah, inland yeah. revenue. Yeah, of course. Yeah, all of those bits. Yeah. Um, but obviously you've got fees, you've got 3% purchase price, you've then got your stamp duty, you've got your solicitor's bills, etc. And you can't offset your mortgage payment now no. either, can you, as of... 2020 was no the last exactly. Year, I don't know why any landlord would do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us nicely on to guidance for people who want to get into renting out yeah. properties. <laughs> yeah. Pre- the previous statement was a joke. <laughs> yeah. no, Everyone should do fine. it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it is something that can be incredibly rewarding and can help people get a bit more of a pension together because it yeah. can provide that. Mm. So um, so I suppose if we move on now to guidance for people who want to get into this. So um, someone's got some money in the bank and they're thinking, right, I'll, I'm going to rent out a property. Mm-hmm. So what um, guidance would you give to, to those people? Well, the first thing they need to do is ring you. Yes, <laughs> that's a, thank, you, thank you so much, Gary. That's all right. <laughs> and um, then the next thing they need to do is ring you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, in, in essence, again, the first thing you need to do is get the mortgage advice, get an idea as to what it's going to cost you. Try and establish what the end goal is. Yeah. Okay, how long are you going to have this over? You know, the advantage of property is long term, you'll make a lot of money out of property. Okay, uh, short term, it's not. it's not like putting... You know, hundred pound on the dog at the three fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> right? At the end of the day, it's got to be a process. Yeah. Obviously, the two ways to do it is capital repayment and interest only. That's something that obviously you need to discuss. Yes. The advantage of the interest only option is the fact you're getting money in every month. Yeah. So, dependent on what you're looking to do with that money. All right. So you can use it to, you know, help finance whatever you're doing at that moment in time, pay yep. for holidays. Putting a child if, through university yeah, or... Yeah, exactly. Uh, paying for your, your COVID test when you get back off holiday. <laughs> and uh, self-isolating. Yeah, yeah, self-isolating. <laughs> Again, uh, that's very 2021, although by today's announcement, it might be 2022 as well. <laughs> um, however, obviously what that allows you to do as well is to pull that money. So if you don't need it, you can generate that money, uh, put it in a, in a high-interest account Although, again, that's not existent at the minute. Yeah, we'll call but, Darren Hopkins for that one. Yeah. <laughs> but effectively, you can invest that money elsewhere as well. So you're getting a double investment. Yeah. Uh, you can sort of put the money in a pot. And when it gets to a certain amount, look at the second investment. So that is option one. You're still going to get your capital growth. Okay. And obviously, what we do know, you only need to speak to anyone who's had a house for 10, 15 years or more. See what they paid for the house, what it's worth now. So, again, you're going to get all of that capital investment, which obviously is taxable and has to be declared. Um, But obviously, it's a way of generating some money in the meantime. The other option is obviously a capital repayment. 
the drawback of that is obviously if anything goes wrong, normally the capital repayment is very similar to what your rent return is going to be yeah, after yeah. your management fees. So you're not going to be getting any money in each month. So you're still going to need to have some way of paying for, you know, a fence panel that gets blown down or... And a, your income tax and if your you've income made tax. any profit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and worst case, you know, if you need a new boiler. Okay. However, the advantage of that is obviously over a term of 20-odd years or whatever, the tenant effectively is paying the mortgage off for you. So that is your subsequent investment at a later point. You've got full capital then within the property plus the growth, but you just haven't made anything yeah. in the 15, 20-year period. So it depends really on what your view on the market is, yeah. um, what your end goal is, what you're trying to achieve. If, you want, if you're just going to buy one property, then probably capital repayment is the more sensible route to go. Uh, because it will just effectively pay for itself over a period of time. If you want to try and build a portfolio, then it's obviously going to be quicker doing it on interest only, which, again, you can remortgage every two or three years by seeing you. Um, and then, obviously, if you want to at a later point, you can start swapping over to capital repayment at a later point to take chunks off that, that mortgage um, and do it that way. Yeah. Um, however, by pooling the money, you'll be in a situation where you can subsequently buy more properties and then that effectively you get a domino effect or a, you know yeah. an avalanche effect and you get to a point where the time it takes you to get the next one is that bit quicker every time and you end up with you know plenty of examples of people in their 30s and 40s with 10 or 12 properties starting off not necessarily owning the big bucks mm -hmm. but now at the point where they can almost retire on Fantastic. A portfolio. Yeah. yeah. It can really work. And I think the key thing is, is everybody is individual. Everyone's circumstances are individual. So advice is always key. Mm -hmm. So if it's certainly Gary is amazing at giving advice on what property is worth buying. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's always key to buy the right house, isn't it, Gary? Because... you Some houses are better rentals than others, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Again, that comes back to the timescale. If you are buying an older house, then you need to think about how long you're going to have that house and what might need doing in that period of time. So things like, is the roof going to last? Um, is the boiler going to last? All of these sort of things. When you're looking at a property, okay, it might look like it's got a combi boiler, but combi boilers have been around now for 20-ish years. So is it a 20-year-old boiler that you're going to need to replace? Okay, all of those sort of things are key factors with older property. The other thing is to take into account things like parking and its location. And, you know, obviously as we go further, further towards, I mean, we may end up going to a situation where less and less people have cars. I mean, if the, if the yeah. green lobby get their way and everyone was <laughs> riding around on these dreadful scooters, um, oh. then obviously parking may be less of a factor going forward. Uh, but I think definitely, you know, if you're looking for the older terraced house, that type of thing, you need to be wary of obviously that kind of thing. Uh, location is key as is with anything when yeah. you're buying. Um, but really the important thing is to look at the value against the rent return. Correct. Um, and obviously in the current market with house prices rising 9.8% in the last 12 months, I think it was reported recently, um, then obviously, again, it's a question of finding the, the right house with the balance between expenditure, how much deposit you've got to put down to the rent return. And it's striking that balance, which is the key. The thing with the rental market, rental values are based on bedrooms, not necessarily the value of the property. All right, okay. So as an example, a two-bedroom semi-detached house in Hinkley is going to rent out for maybe only £50 a month less than the same one in Burbage. But in Burbage, you're going to be paying maybe 30 to 40 grand more 
to, to get it. to get fifty pound a month. And, yeah, so it doesn't make sense. And likewise, going to Barwell again, you're going to see a drop in the value of the house, but the rent is probably only maybe twenty five pound. So speaking to an expert like yourself is definitely where to go. So, you know, because with you being so experienced in the local market and you You having... (laughs) Fortunately, I'm only grey on the side and these these speakers uh, or these uh, headphones are... uh, Covering it up. Covering up the (laughs) grey. No, so I suppose if if someone was wanting to get into this Mm -hmm. um, and they said, Gary, I'm looking for a property to rent out, um, if you manage it and provide that service would you give me advice on if a property is worth getting or not is yeah that... very much so i mean some of our existing landlords um i mean we've got four or five at the minute who are looking to invest um they're coming to us and saying look can you find us a property so we'll search the portals try and find suitable properties likewise we've got natural wastage of landlords who are looking to sell um, so again we have a mailing list of our landlords for that um, and yes at the end of the day it doesn't matter whether you're buying off agent x or agent y as far as i'm concerned obviously we'll help you as much as we can on the basis that obviously we we manage the property for you that also even includes refurbs so again um, we've got a number of contractors so again we can almost project manage a property that needs a bit of work um, and we do that with a number of clients where they basically just go, right, that's the property I want, but it needs carpets, it needs decorating, it needs this or that. So we'll line those contractors up, get the quotes organised, again, at no cost to the landlord, by virtue of the fact that obviously our business is in the management of that. Um, so we'll basically get all of that all organised for them. So on the day of completion, the contractors go in and get it, get it done within a week two weeks so we can obviously get it let as quickly as possible and that's really key because when you are buying a property to rent out and have a mortgage and have to have that associated buildings insurance there are limits to how long it can be left unoccupied for so if the initial work isn't done quickly enough then you could be in breach of those terms and conditions on your landlord's buildings insurance so yeah. the f- and also as well you're not earning the rent no exactly so well, the that, sooner you yeah. can start every, earning every that day rent, it's sat there empty you're losing minimum 30 pound a day irrespective of what the value of the property is plus you're paying a mortgage per day effectively on yeah. that and your insurance so really you know it's costing you best part of 45 50 quid a day it's sat empty so you, you don't really want that However, obviously, buying a property that needs some work um, can be advantageous if you get it at the right price. However, obviously, some landlords don't want that either. They just want what we call a turnkey property, which is day of completion. Keys come in and that's it. Viewings are done and it's let a week later. Um, But obviously, you're going to be paying more for that. So, again, it comes down to, again, assessing what a landlord wants from a property, what their end goal is, what type of portfolio they want to try and build. Yeah. Um, and some landlords will have choices. Uh, you know, some landlords will want flats. Some landlords will want houses. Some will want older stuff. Some will have a mix. So they've got, you know, fingers in various pies, as it were. Yeah. So it really comes down to each individual case. Perfect. So just to explain to our listeners who might not know, what is a fully managed service? Um, so what does that entail for you, for yourselves? Uh, well, for ourselves, it's very different to our competitors. Um, so that's the first thing to get across. Uh, with ourselves, a fully managed service is exactly that. It's fully managed. So the costs, if you were letting through right and right, is a let fee, uh, which currently sits at £200 plus VAT. 
that will cover all the advertising, marketing, doing the inventory, getting the contracts done, referencing, everything else. And then on top of that, on average, it's 8% plus VAT of the rent received. But obviously that is subject to some variation depending on the amount of properties, etc. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that is fully managed. So that includes every three months doing an inspection with an email report and photos. Um, obviously, day-to-day running of that property, sorting out repairs, um, getting jobs done relating to the property, informing you of obviously when your um, regulatory items need amending, um, and literally everything. Um, so does the tenant not even know who the landlord is? Because I think sometimes that's important because they don't want the tenant to know who they are. Uh, well, obviously on a contract, obviously land, name. yeah, landlord's name is on the contract. Um, by law, if the tenant wants the home address of the landlord, we have to provide it. However, on, on the contract, it's always got the care of address. Um, so obviously that is protected. Um, but yeah, I mean, in essence, in an ideal world, we want to try and avoid you know, the reason a landlord is paying for a managed service is because they don't want the hassle. They don't yeah. want that phone call at half past seven at night uh, from someone on a on a Saturday evening. They don't want their weekend spoilt by someone sending them a, you know, a, a not so pleasant text or whatever about a job not being done at a certain point. Um, so, yeah, you know, managed service is exactly that. It is managed. Um when the office is shut, we can still be contacted through Facebook and obviously via email uh, because that's all linked through to my phone. So at the end of the day, you know, if it's a Sunday and it's an emergency, I can still effectively deal with stuff. Um, but the key thing from a landlord's perspective is they it's it's clear and it's transparent. Yeah, they all pay a management fee. There's no extra fees that Right and Right will charge them for the duration of that tenancy. Okay, so things like if a job gets you know, needs to be done, a new boiler or something like that, a lot of agents will charge 10% for making a phone call. Well, to me, that's not a managed service. They are literally charging you for making a phone call to a plumber and getting a price for a, a boiler. What's the difference between that and ringing the plumber about a tap? Yeah. Okay, so again, from a landlord's perspective, it's vitally important that you check the agent's website because the vast majority will have upwards of three to four pages of fees that the landlord is going to be liable for and some of them a lot of the case you know they claim to be a managed service but really all it is is a rent collection service yeah. that they're claiming to be managed and then on top of that they're charging you extra and this has changed quite a lot in the last couple of years obviously with the fee ban. yeah and i suppose someone listening to this might think i want that service but i'm tied in so what what are the rules around that? So if someone's using a different agent mm-hmm. and they're just not getting the service, they're being charged for everything, how do they move to you? Uh, well, obviously, you'd need to check your terms of business with each individual agent. Um, I suppose probably the maximum is going to be a three-month notice period, um, which is obviously only the notice period, so effectively the management fee for three months. Um, a lot of agents probably don't really have anything in there um, but obviously probably the maximum is going to be the three months so in essence if a landlord wanted to come to ourselves all we'd need to do is obviously speak to the landlord speak to the tenant and also the, the other letting agent we'd obviously speak to them let them know what's going to happen obviously check the terms of business and then what we would do is set a handover date now that date would be a sensible date rather than a rush date so Obviously, if a tenant's rent is due in two weeks' time, there's no point transferring it to us in 10 days 
okay you're better off leaving it with that other agent get that rent in and discharge and then as soon as that is done and you've had the rent payment then move it across to us as we've got then a full month effectively to get everything set up and in place yeah in essence it only takes us three or four days the main issue is is that the tenant changing the standing order yeah that's the bit that effectively is going to delay anything um other than that deposits can all be transferred through irrespective of which tenancy deposit scheme the agent is with that's fairly straightforward um and obviously the contract is between the landlord and the tenant not the agent and the tenant okay so as such it doesn't matter i mean obviously you know when we when we bought uh one or two property portfolios it was quite straightforward wasn't it Caroline? it was very straightforward <laughs> <laughs> no i think that is really good to get across because some people are so unhappy with the service they're getting and they think that they are tied to them. So, oh, they found that tenant, yeah, so yeah. therefore I've got to see this tenant out. Yeah, them. absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. You can, And again, obviously, you know, I'm not advocating landlords doing private rental. Um, but again, obviously, if they're really unhappy equally, it, you don't have to even move it to another agent. You know, a, a landlord can obviously just give instructions to privately manage it. I, I wouldn't advocate that. Uh, but again, I think it, out of fairness, it's important to get that across. Okay. It's just dependent on the terms of business. And as I say, I, I can't imagine anyone having more than three months notice within the terms of business. And a lot of them may not even have any clause in there. Yeah. Um, but in essence, it is really straightforward. Yeah. Um, so the key is if you're unhappy, yeah, vote yeah. with your feet. Yeah, vote with your feet as with anything. And again, um, I think a lot of the time landlords maybe um, get complacent which again comes back to the other thing, uh, which obviously uh, I think is important from your side as well, is if you're a landlord out there and you're not paying literally 50p interest a month on some deal you got you know, a few years ago, <laughs> you know, when did you last remortgage? Yeah. Because again, the deals are out there. Again, if you've got a property that you've had a mortgage on for a while, the property value has gone up dramatically. Speak to Caroline, look at the remortgage side look at maybe then getting some money out of that you don't have to extend your term or anything but you can just generate some money to then maybe get a second property and actually get some more money every month yeah yep. perfect thank you so much gary you took the words right. right out of my mouth <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't because it wasn't on your list <laughs> no that is absolutely brilliant that has been really good gary yeah I started off wanting a bite and then I didn't, but now I do again. Now I do again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel we're going, on, we're going on a roller coaster. Well, Sam, what you need to do, you need to speak to Caroline. <laughs> I will. Do. I might go elsewhere. You know, yeah, well, yeah. Apparently, apparently, apparently there are others. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like this one here. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about you. You stayed a bit quiet over there, Lucy. You're right. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, that's absolutely brilliant, Gary. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's been insightful really really helpful and all of gary's contact details are going to be displayed at the end of the podcast so if you've got any questions for gary or want to approach him about moving across to his managed service all of his details will be available at the end and you can contact him directly thank you very much absolutely no problem thank you. thank you bye thank you one Roof Financial LLP is an appointed representative of Primus Mortgage Network, a trading name of First Complete Limited, which is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on your mortgage. We usually charge a fee for mortgage advice. The amount of the fee will depend upon your circumstances and will be discussed and agreed with you at the earliest opportunity.